Welcome to the Safety with Purpose Women in Safety podcast. This is a show that provides a supportive space for women in safety careers. We break down the barriers and provide opportunities for growth. Make sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified of new episodes and join us at safetywithpurpose.com. Now, here's your Women in Safety podcast host, Tamara Paris. Welcome back, listeners, and for those of you who are just newly joining us, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, Tamara Paris, and we've got a great show lined up today. I'm talking to Anna Keen. She's the founding director of Acre Frameworks, and we're going to be talking about uh, recruiting in the EHS professional field. That's what she specializes in. And I know a lot of you were asking a lot of questions about that, sending me DMs. So I've got an expert who knows something about this. We're also going to be talking about engagement and what does that look like and what does that mean? She's going to share with us some of the types of credentials that employers are looking for. And we're not talking about the, the, the technical skills. We're talking about the soft skills when we're looking at this. And the great news is that Anna's also going to be speaking at the EHS Congress in April 2020 in Berlin. She's going to share a little bit about what that's going to look like. If you haven't already head over to ehscongress.com and register because it's going to be an amazing event. You don't want to miss this. Okay, that's enough for now. Let's get into the conversation with Anna. Anna, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. No, you're very welcome. How did you get into what you're doing right now and, and specifically working with those of us in EHS? Um. So it's a bit of a a long-winded story, but I'll try and keep it brief. So I um, finished high school, didn't want to go to university, um, and my parents very kindly said, "If you if you want to stay living here, you need to go and get a job." And I ended up going to work for a health and safety consultancy down the road. So um, started off working as their receptionist. I was awful at it, Um, and but eventually found myself in. The world of sales so I was selling health and safety training um, I did that for about 12 months really enjoyed the work but actually at that point was was starting to feel like if I really wanted to advance my career I probably needed to go to university like a lot of my friends were um, also felt I was probably missing out a little bit on the on the social life um, so I went and studied business and psychology um, and then on leaving that someone said to me you know what are you going to do um, it was one of my friends. And I said, I don't really know. I just want something where I'm out there talking to people and I'm engaging. Um, and I don't really want to be sat in an office all day staring at a computer screen. And someone mentioned to me about recruitment. Um, they also told me I could earn some money doing it. And there was a real social life and a real buzz around um, the work that you do. So I applied for a job um, and was fortunate enough to get accepted onto a grad program. And it was my um, experience working with health and safety professionals previously that actually I didn't find out till later that actually got me the job doing recruitment. So I worked for that organisation for about eight years, mainly focused on health and safety. And for me, there was just, I suppose it's got me into what I'm doing now, but there was this evolving, evolving need of our clients that when I first started, it was find me someone that can recite the law, tell other people what to do, can shout loudly. Um, and it was it was quite straightforward. And then over time, that was starting to change. They needed people that 
that could engage with the workforce, that could um, influence the board, that could drive change, innovate. And the candidate pool wasn't really representing that. So I was interviewing people that had, you know, chartered members of IOSH, they had diplomas and masters, but actually when it came to those human skills, were left lacking. Um, and our clients are recognising that that's probably why they were coming to us as recruiters, because they couldn't just stick an advert up and get, you know, someone that they wanted. They wanted these real enablers, facilitators, people that could really drive change. They were hard to find. So that's what I started focusing on. I went and worked over in Australia for a while and they didn't have the, I suppose, the heritage around health and safety that we do in the UK. Um, and a, it was much more focused on those those business skills, those transferable skills. So when I came back to the UK, I, I s- took a step back from recruiting day to day. Acre, the company that I work for and with, they are a recruitment company and we specialise in sustainability and EHS recruitment globally. Um, we have offices in, in New York and Amsterdam now as well as London. But what I wanted to really focus on was this skill gap. So actually, how do I educate, inform and then support EHS professionals to to look at a different skill set that they've probably not had to before? It's been very technically focused, very much on that that legal bias, Um, understand the law, recite the law, be that point of knowledge, um, you know, and how do we get them to become more curious, more creative um, and more courageous, I suppose, in their endeavours. So they're, they're the three values we focus on quite heavily. So that's how I ended up in it. Um, I suppose like most people that fall into EHS, um, I definitely fell into it. Um, and but I've been very lucky to work with some amazing people that are really driving change in the profession. And I see the links quite heavily between what I did at university and business and psychology, actually, with what's facing the profession now. I actually come from a social work background. So I have a bachelor's in social work degree to start with and work from there. And exactly what you've pulled out is the the soft skills, the people skills. Um, When I started health and safety, because I, I didn't have occupational health and safety training first, I had social work. The only way I knew to do it was I'm a resource to you I'm here to support you to achieve your goals. By the way, there is this thing called the Occupational Health and Safety Act, which is a law for the workplace. We need to make sure we're at least in line with this. So first thing I noticed when I came in is that a lot of people didn't even know about health and safety. They didn't even know it was a thing. And... um, I see a lot of people coming from the angle as health and safety professionals with this this thinking that health and safety, everybody knows about it. And I think that's that stereotype. So people either don't know about it or they have a really negative, especially in the UK, this this stereotype around um you know, people that enjoy controlling and this highly autocratic and everything that I now don't see on a daily basis and and why I think it's probably one of the most interesting careers is that it really does blend everything from from the legal to the psychology to the business access that one individual can have such a broad understanding of an organization but also every day is different 
I think health and safety professionals for too long have focused on doing their best work when things go wrong. And actually the proactive element of it, the being out there and engaging, the asking questions, being curious um, and not actually having the answers, I think has, is just a, a really great career for people and actually more so for the generations that are coming through now. They probably deal with the ambiguity of that and, and actually can really lean into it rather than feel like, you know, I need to know everything and I need to be that font of knowledge and I need to be that that safety net for the organization. So I think it's a I think it's a varied career. I think equally we see people progress incredibly quickly. Um, and I think sometimes that can be at the detriment of individuals, but actually if you're if you have a strong technical understanding and these people skills, this business acumen, um, if you if you enjoy innovation, if you know yourself and you reflect in yourself aware and actually you're developing yourself, you can go really far really quickly. Um, and you can be, you know, working and reporting into boards in your early 30s. We see that quite often. So I think it is such a a great career. Um, but someone said to me a line a couple of weeks ago, and it's really stuck with me that in order to be it, you need to be able to see it. And I think there's a lot of work around that role modelling that needs to needs to change about what people see and what people think of when they, they think of EHS or safety professionals. Absolutely. I was actually talking to Barry Nelson the other day, and we were talking about the same thing, is that we really need to re-sculpt what health and safety is in, in society's mind and in the workplace's mind, as well as in the professional's mind, there is there's too much emphasis on the compliance and uh, I'm going to be the person who makes sure everybody's upholding compliance. And a lot of that comes through the marketing. These companies out there have really marketed hard, are you compliant? And there there's the other boat that... If you have engagement, if you have strong programs that have, have included the workers who are doing the jobs, then you will more than likely be, meet the standard and go above it. No, and that takes, and I think it's interesting what you're saying about that societal change. I think it really has to come from when we, when we set up frameworks four or five years ago. We originally spoke about rebranding health and safety one individual at a time. And I actually believe if the individual is willing to look at themselves, look at how their behaviours might be impacting the chances of someone getting home safe and, and do things differently, then the interactions they have on a day to day basis change. And that they can start from such a, you know, I know the induction process in companies I've worked for is the bit that you instantly think of when you think of health and safety. And if someone can have a really great experience at that point and almost be taken by surprise around actually, you know, this isn't a technical induction. It's not death by PowerPoint. It's actually someone engaging me and having a conversation. Instantly, you change that stereotype. You change that impression of what health and safety is and you get people's engagement. So I really think if we can work on the individuals in the profession, it has a it will have a snowball effect. You know, you'll get that critical mass of people that are really demonstrating those behaviors that that we talk about on a daily basis and that actually over time that changes the whole way society and business see see health and safety and now i wanted to drill a little bit down a little bit more on what you're talking about engagement 
Let's expand on that because I'm not really thinking people are getting a foothold on what engagement really entails because it's not about throwing a pizza party and it's not about standing up in front of a room and talking at people to do a safety talk. I'll give you an example of, of what I did and I think was engagement with my team. And then as a professional, you can kind of critique it if you're open to that. So, so one of the things that I did, and, and again, because I, I bring the toolkit of a social worker into the position, right, is that I, I had to, to look after stores, uh, health and safety and retail stores, and that would also mean several departments, not just this store as a whole, but several different units. And I'm looking at this and going, wow, you know, that's a lot of work for one person to do. So, um, of course, in social work, we have support groups. If I'm dealing with somebody who's an addict or somebody who's um, trying to get out of an unhealthy partnership, we have support groups. And in the groups, we kind of break things down and have people help one another. And I thought, hmm, all right, let's try this. So that's what I did with the, with the audit and all the different pieces of the safety program was I started to navigate to the, the department heads and said, okay, so here's this, here's this module for health and safety. Here are the things we need to cover. Can you go and, and talk to your department about what other things are we missing out on? And let's develop this program for the bakery, for the deli, for the produce, right? And I, and I gave them a month to do that, work with their teams and, 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 and do some coaching with me. So it was yeah. a back and forth process at the beginning. Um, but then they came out with these really robust programs that a lot of things I didn't even think about because I don't do the job, right? And so then the, the regional manager, when he found out that we were doing safeties so different than corporate, at first was frustrated. But then when he came and he saw, he was like, you've got to be doing this in the other stores. And so to me, when I'm coming from a, a social work background, I'm looking at engagement through the lens of how can I get the, the management and the workers working together to create for what they need in their own pod, the best that's going to be for them, and then report back what they need. There's some really great things that I think that you've brought into that, that whole sort of support network and seeing it as a, this is me trying to enable you. Um, I think coaching for me is a really interesting one. So I think often when people think of coaching, they think of sports coaches who in my world are much more of a mentor. You know, they know the skills that they're trying to impart and improve. And actually, you know, when I qualified as a coach, it was an exec coach and it was non-directive. So the art of asking really great questions and knowing what re a really great question is rather than knowing what your next question is because you're guiding someone to an outcome you want them to get to. And I think that's often where we see engagement going wrong. So when I'm coaching people and we talk about engagement or we talk about, you know, where you collaborate with someone during a change management process, it's, oh, I got everyone in the room and I, you know, asked them what they think. And then I did what we actually were going to do anyway. So it's almost this tick box exercise rather than actually truly listening, um, really understanding. And this is where for me, vulnerability comes in so important in the role of an EHS professional. For years, EHS professionals have been schooled and conditioned to know the answer and actually to say to them, actually, you know, don't have the answer, have the, have the question, 
be curious, be genuinely curious about how this person does their work. How does that really feel and look like? What are they coming to work with? What are the challenges they're facing on a daily basis that aren't health and safety related? Maybe it's budget, maybe it's time, maybe it's fun. You know, what, what are they really dealing with? And then really understand how that person is, is acting rather than going in there with a, a preconceived idea or outcome and then collaborating or engaging with people to get them to where you want to. So we often see it when someone wants to change a, a system or a policy and they go in there and go, okay, here's the change. What do you think? And, and that sort of back to front collaboration or engagement, which actually, you know, people either go, well, I disagree with you. I don't agree with it. Or the easiest thing to do is not give any input at all. But for a lot of people, they feel like I've ticked the box around engaging and collaborating. So I, I think a lot of it takes people to be really reflective on their own performance and actually to, to get feedback but really to focus on their listening. So actually, am I listening to hear what I want to hear that reinforces my, my opinion? Or am I actually really listening to what the other person's saying and what they're trying to get out of it? And I think that's a very important credential is, do you, do you have the skill set to step back mm. and listen without bias? Yeah. Do you have... If you don't have that that skill set, that is a credential that will move you so much more further yeah. down the line. So go and get some um, education or training or knowledge around that um, in order to help you get down that path. Um, what other type of credentials would you suggest that employers are really looking for right now also? I think a real understanding of business so actually the you know whether that be um a real understanding of sort of the the complexities of business wider risk I think is is becoming more and more um involved in what in what EHS professionals do especially at that senior end so actually not just thinking about the safety risk or the environmental risk or the health risk but actually what's the reputational risk what's the you know how does that interact with the finance and the the data so there's so many risks so I think a lot of our clients now are going down that that route um I think also what we look for in in candidates when we're presenting them is that people aren't the finished article and I think that's changed dramatically over the last 10 years in my recruiting experience when we used to recruit someone we used to present candidates as the finished article so here is everyone that ticks every box and I think more and more so now we're looking for people that are really self-aware. Um, we use we have a, a unique profiling tool that looks at our competency set and we use that as part of our recruitment process. And that isn't to say hire or don't hire someone. That's to say, you know, really understand who you're hiring, where their strengths are, where their development areas are, because we all have them and then work with them to to contract around that. So they're going to bring this to the table, but also. Um, they're going to need to develop, maybe it's that they need to develop their credibility at a board level, or they need to really understand more around the finances. Or maybe actually, they have some, you know, they like to control the situation, and they're working on that. But I think more and more so we're looking for candidates who have a really strong level of self awareness, 
that they actively seek feedback and not just ones that make them feel good, but actually that constructive feedback as well. Um, and then people that are actually doing something about that. So maybe they they practice reflection, they read outside of the traditional routes. I think something often we see is people achieve their diploma or their master's level, and then that's, you know, that's it done for education. But actually the people that we see moving quickly are, are the ones that have that growth mindset. They're, they're reading outside of the realms of health and safety. They're reading about psychology or business or, or they're looking at how risk is managed or, you know, listening to a book at the moment about the fire service on human factors. And I think just that, that curiosity, I think the world is a really great place at the moment for curious people. You know, you can Google stuff, there's podcasts, there's books. And I think just seeing people that have that appetite to learn um, and are willing to challenge their previous biases, their previous perceptions, and actually and actually adapt and change is is really important. I mean, the one consistent thing is change. And I think people that can that deal with that. I think resilience also is a huge thing that um is probably overlooked. So actually, how do you how do you learn from failure? How do you actually embrace it? Um and I think some of the best responses we've had in interview questions around, you know, when something gone wrong and what did you learn from it? And and people actually being willing to say, oh, I got it wrong or I should have done that. Or actually, you know, well, I did this really well, but that's the tweak I've made next time. And I think the interview process has so much been set up to talk about your strengths and what you're good at and all of these things. But actually, a bit like in the world of health and safety, we we often learn through through failure. So. Yeah, I think it's it's way more demanding than it used to be when it was just you've got the qualification, here's the job. <laughs> so, um, but I think that's also showing where the profession's going as a whole. Well, self reflection and being able to break de- deconstruct something and saying, okay, so where did it go off the rails? Or even if something is successful. Why was it successful? So that whole self-reflection so that you can at least try to duplicate what you did with some understanding and comprehension. Yeah. So, you know, I've worked um, with organizations that are implementing safety too or safety differently and their appreciative, appreciative investigation I love in terms of actually we as human beings, we often when we re- reflect on it, uh, you know, whether it's a presentation we've done or a business plan we've put together, we critique it and we look at the negatives. But actually also learning from what really went right. I think there's so much to be gained in that. And actually a lot of the work I do with coaching and particularly with women um, tends to be looking at not just building their reflection skills, but actually looking at how they reflect upon those reflections, which sounds like a whole nother complex, but actually whether they look at things through a positive or negative lens. So, you know, they they might do a presentation to board and then they come out and they rip themselves apart about the two things that went wrong and not the 20 things that went right. And I think these lessons are actually really important for people in order to build that resilience, but also to to keep that growth mindset going. Now, do you think that's a cultural thing in terms of people (laughs) ripping yourself apart? Uh, Yeah. Because, I mean, it's interesting. A lot of people do Um, it, right? A lot of the people that I 
a lot of the people that I coach, actually, it's one of the things we work on the most is actually their self-talk. Um, so, you know, and often we I project back on, would you talk to someone else the way you talk to yourself? And the answer is no. I know I do that with my own coach. Um, but I do think it's a cultural thing. I think it's maybe how we learn as children, reflecting on my two and a half year old and how I constantly uh, I'm working with him around, you know, you need to do this better and this differently. And, you know, don't do that. Um, but I think we do. We, we focus on that improvement quite often rather than actually what went well, um, which I think it's how you use that constructively rather than destructively. So I think people that have that high level of drive and are constantly looking to improve themselves will look for, you know, what's the constructive feedback? Where can I make an incremental difference? But actually making sure that that stays in a really positive, constructive sort of way rather than when it gets destructive because I think that's when it becomes really damaging no absolutely um that you hit the nail right on the head and you know also we are responsible mm. for cultivating the next generation as you yeah. say like how you talk to yeah. to your little ones and how I yeah. talk to my little big one he's 14 now you know but I, I'm seeing reaping the rewards of where he just had an issue where he wasn't um, getting along with another student, but he yeah. found a win-win solution. And, and, and not only about himself, he said, he's like, well, you know, when the person's picking on me, they're also negatively impacting their own education. And he went and he, he figured out a solution. And that's from, you know, sharing our gifts with others. Now, talking about ta speaking and talking to other people, I understand that you're going to be at the EHS Congress in 2020. I am, and I'm looking forward to it. I attended last year as a delegate. Um, and it was just a really interesting day with a, a great mix of people in the room. I think often the content is, you know, great in these things but actually the the input and the engagement from from the people in the room is really what makes them and yeah I'm excited to be actually we're, we're doing half an hour slot on um on how you attract retain and develop talent and for me that's a real um mashup of all of the experience I've had so actually how do you how should you be attracting people into your business? So we look at things like tours of duty now, so not presenting jobs, but actually looking at what that person's going to get out of their role. Um, we look at then actually how you should start development as an open book with someone that's in your team. You know, it's not a development shouldn't be a dirty word that or it's a bit like performance management. Actually, how are you going to get the most out of that person while they work for you? And then actually how you so we talk about retention, but actually, at what point should you support someone to go on to their next challenge, whether that's within your organisation or elsewhere? Recognising that actually, if the whole profession is going to evolve and improve, we need to get the right people with the right skills and the right roles. That sometimes means actually supporting someone that it would be great to keep in your team forever, but actually supporting them to make that move. So we'll we'll go through all of that. And we link it quite heavily back to the, to the, the keynotes, so Holnagel and, and Sydney Decker. We do a lot of work with with organisations trying to embed those principles, the safety differently principles or, or safety two, and actually looking at what the skills are that you need in terms of the team that you create that delivers that. Because actually quite often organisations want to take these things on, but they very rarely look at the safety function and how that's going to deliver them. So we've worked with a number of organisations really to work with the individuals to break down some limiting behaviours and really look at what are the new skills that they're going to need in order to drive that change forward. So 
I think it will be a really good, hopefully, a segue into, you know, what people have heard, the, the theoretical, actually, what does that mean for them and their team? And then how can they get the right people, as I say, with the right skills in the right place to deliver on some of those bigger concepts? No, it sounds like a really good um, event. And it's going to be in Berlin, right? Yeah, it is. It is. And it's a great city. So, um, yeah. And what I love about it, actually, is I do a lot of UK-centric, US-centric events. And actually, when you get Europe, when you look at Europe as a whole, the cultural differences um, because of the broad reach um, is really great. So there's a lot of large large employers there, but actually also some people at the earliest stages of their careers that are learning as well. So it, it tends to be a really great mix of um, people that are also willing to, to challenge. And I think that's what I love to see when I go to these conferences, that it isn't just people passively attending. It's actually people really wanting to to engage, to challenge, to ask the question. Um, and then that's how they get the most out of it. So it's a, it's a really good opportunity for, for people to come together and, and network in and out the sessions. So the sessions, um, it's all designed to make sure people get that opportunity to network in between and uh, over the evening in between as well. Um, and I think that's where a lot of great discussion comes out. And I know I've certainly benefited from the, the contacts I made last year. Um, they've been people I've either done business with since, but also have lent on for, for support um, and got advice from. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. I think it's a, a really engaging couple of days. Yeah, I'm hoping to be getting over there. Um, I'm over in Canada, so it'd be quite a trip. But, you know, it's very exciting just to be able to connect and talk to people in person for a change. We do a lot of online and and over the internet through webinars and stuff, but that human contact, getting to be able to, to chat with you in a room, that would be great. Well, this has been great. Good, no, it's been lovely. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you about it all, so really appreciate it. Did you have anything that you wanted to leave um, our listeners with, a, a lasting thought? Um, yeah, I think the, we have a load of resources on our website, but something I'm really proud of is we did a piece of research last year with our advisory panels. So that's a group of just under a hundred EHS leaders. Um, a lot of them with global remit. And we, we did a, an extensive interview process with them over 200 hours of face-to-face -face interviews, really focused on what are the skill sets that are critical for EHS professionals going forward. Um, so really honing down, it's not an extensive list. There's nine at a foundations level and um, eight at a, a leadership level. But they're, they're the, really the, the skills that employers are looking for. Um, and then it's got a value set of curiosity, creativity and courage. So if people want um, to, con to contact me or have a look on the ACRE website, they can download that for free. It's a really good resource if you're if you're building your career in EHS and you actually want to think about you know, what do employers want to see in a really succinct, um, user-friendly user -friendly way rather than a, an extensive document that they have to get their heads around. So it was written by recruiters and uh, we have a, a research and psychologist that works for us, um, but it's, it's fairly easy reading. So, yeah, definitely if people want that resource or, or any of the other stuff we do, they can follow us on LinkedIn. 
Now, are you open to sharing that link with yeah, me so that I can put it on our page? And so people can find it uh, when they go to the page for the uh, podcast at uh, safetywithpurpose.com, women in safety. And as I say, we, I think over the, with the frameworks, the development side of the business, we've operated in over 30 countries this year or last year, um, and we recruit all over the world. So I think anyone listening to this anywhere, it's worth having a look at what we do. Um, it tends to be quite niche, um, and but we tend to work with those more progressive organisations, the ones that really want to invest in, in EHS, sustainability. Um, we do a lot of work around sort of ethical um, trade and responsible investment. So, um, yeah, have a look at what we do. But I'll send you some links, Sophie, that you can you can share. Oh, that's great. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. But thank you so much for joining me and sharing your knowledge with everybody. No, you're very welcome. Really appreciate it. Lovely to talk to you. Take care. That was a great conversation with Anna Keen, and that's unfortunately all the time that we have today. Really appreciate her taking the time and sharing with us her knowledge about what employers are looking for now when they are hiring EHS professionals, what she's going to be talking about at the EHS Congress in Berlin in April. And again, if you haven't registered yet, go over to ehscongress.com and you can register there. We've got a lineup of great speakers joining us. We've got Anna Keen, who we just had on the show. We've got Andrew Sherman and Sydney Decker. Just an amazing crew. And you're going to have time to network and meet with them. So register and get on over to that event of great EHS professionals. Really good networking opportunity. And if you're looking for the notes for our podcast here, please go to safetywithpurpose.com backslash women in safety. I'm going to put all the resource links that Anna promised into the notes for the show. And if you're looking for health and safety resources, either to do more professional development for yourself, share out with your team, add to your training, or just share with your network, head over to safopedia.com where we've got a wealth of resources for you and new stuff coming out every single day, webinars, white papers, Q&As, quizzes, loads of stuff to share out with your teams and network and use yourself. Until next time, have a great day and stay safe. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the Women in Safety podcast. Thank you for clicking the subscribe button and sharing it with others. Make sure to visit us at safetywithpurpose.com for more safety leadership and industry discussions.